time for customers who click. We've got a great episode in store for you today, but before we get into it, uh, if you haven't already done so, please go and leave the podcast a review. Today, I'm joined by Ben Davis, the founder and CEO of TryNow. If you haven't heard of them, they're a platform that allows businesses to offer a try-before-you-buy model to their customers. Super important, given the growth of e-commerce and people purchasing at distance, they obviously don't have the opportunity to experience the product in hand as you would in store. TryNow changes that. Let's get Ben on now to find out how. Hi, Ben. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind introducing yourself? Give us a bit of your background and how you've got to where you are today. Yeah, hey, Will. Thanks for having me on. So my name is Benjamin. I'm the founder and CEO of TryNow. And the genesis for TryNow came out of my work in my last business. I was running a direct-to-consumer apparel brand, and we had this incredibly soft fabric and garments. And I wanted to offer a try-before-you-buy program to allow shoppers to touch and feel the product at home, only pay for what they keep. Um, I thought it was pretty easy to build. We'll authorize a card. We'll charge it at a later date. It turned out it was very complex and many other brands needed it. So I built that software for myself and realized it was a much larger market need. That was about three and a half years ago. We've since raised about $25 million in funding from the founders of PayPal, founders of Affirm and some others to create the Try Before You Buy category. Awesome. Okay. So, so this wasn't, it wasn't sampling. It wasn't like order some samples of a thing. It was actually... You it was actually the full, the full product. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And yeah, I guess the way, you know, the, I mean, we do have some brands that use it for sampling to power kind of a try before you buy within the sampling space and in, in beauty and cosmetics, a company called Sniff that sells candles and fragrances. But I think the, the whole premise is, you know, Will, is there, is there a, is there a brand and apparel brand that you like to shop at? Oh, God, who do I shop? I, I have, yeah, I shop at, there's one called Spoke. They okay. do like quite good quality, like chinos. Okay. So let's say you walked into a Spoke store. And you want to try on a few different chinos, a few different styles, a few different different sizes. And let's say it's $100 a pan. And I said, hey, Will, before you try these four items on, just give me your credit card. I'll charge it for $400 plus taxes. But if it doesn't fit or you don't like it, no worries. You can go to the front, get a refund. They'll hit your statement in about seven business days. You probably wouldn't pay to try those on, right? We would never operate our brick and mortar store that way. But that's how e-commerce operates. And so that is like, that is exactly what we are addressing and targeting. If e-commerce was started today in 2022, December of 2022, almost 2023 for you and you're about to head off on, on a holiday. But if it was started today, everything would be tried before you buy. But back in 1995, when the first e-commerce transaction came around, we just didn't have the the technology and the plumbing laid to, to enable that, that, that buying model. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, so uh, how do you get customers clicking? Like, where does where does the try before you buy model fit into the customer journey? Yeah, so the customer journey typically starts. It, it's a full funnel approach. So while, while the product, the actual product, is you know payment mechanism and underlying shipment tracking systems and softwares and fraud prevention tools, it's, all, it's largely back end with some front end components. The first front end component to the shopper is on the product detail page. So the shopper has the option to either buy or they can try before they buy. I mean, if they click the try before you buy button, that item is added to the cart for zero dollars. And then they'll progress to the checkout and they'll put their credit card information in, but it won't be charged. And an order is placed on the back end of the e-commerce site. The, the brand fulfills it just like any other order. And the shopper can try it home for seven days after delivery, only pay for whatever he or she keeps. So that's, that's the product. Now, where does, how does this drive customers to click? Well, it starts in, in marketing messaging. So not just homepage messaging, but also ads, email ads, retargeting. So most brands will put the try before you buy 
experience into their welcome email flow, which increases click-through rates on ads, increases conversions on, on, on emails as well. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's like a, a, a feature on the website that once they've, once they've decided they like the product and they want to buy the product, they've then, they've then got that option to actually try it so that even if they don't like it, so if they don't like it, they can just send it back. That's it. Issue dealt with. Uh, I suppose like tied to that, does it only really work if you offer free returns or can we you have build in that, the, the charge? We have, we have brands that do offer restocking fees. Most of our brands don't because most of the brands that we work with are very customer centric. And so what they're focused on is creating the best customer experience possible. You can think about, I think like the philosophy of most of our brands, sort of like inputs and outputs, the input being creating an indispensable shopping experience. So that's first off, just delivering on an exceptional product and then an exceptional experience through great customer support channels, great information on site, a great on-site experience, and then just a great experience that you try before you buy. The output being, you know, more dollars in your bank account through a variety of, of methods. And so typically brands that have restocking fees do cover cost of returns, right? $10 for a returner, but it does impact that second purchase, that third purchase, that fourth purchase. So, you know, there there is a bit of a trade-off there that that brands can would, would need to make. When when you say it affects second and third and, and fourth purchases, do you mean kind of because they because the customer experience is not so good? Just exactly. fewer people, yeah. I suppose fewer people are, are, are coming back because they've they've had to they've, they've had to pay a fine. Basically, I suppose that's exactly that's probably the way customers see it, right? It's a uh... yeah, and there are two different types of customers, right? Let's say you said the brand was was Spoke. You love Spoke. Let's say I order from Spoke, and I say I, I don't love Spoke, and I order one time, so I'm didn't fit, didn't work for me. I'm never going to order again. But brand assesses a restocking fee for that for that shopper. Um, that uh, I might be annoyed that I had to pay $10 to return. But from a brand's perspective, I wasn't going to come back anyway, so they can recoup some dollars. Restocking fees assume that all returners are never going to come back, that they're buy zeros forever. And so restocking fees, from our perspective, is an incredibly blunt tool. The reality is returns have tremendous amount of nuance it didn't fit i i you know it was it, it, was, it was out of season for me i i i the myriad reasons for for why that that specific product didn't work and what we see with if shoppers come back at really high rates to to repurchase at you know within 30 days 45 days 100 days yeah well i suppose potentially from a customer point of view the product wasn't as it was sold Right. They they might have been expecting it to be, I don't know, a slightly different fit or or whatever, based on based on the description that was provided and the images that were provided. That right. person's got an expectation. The product doesn't meet the expectation. So actually, in their view, the business is kind of at fault. They don't, they don't really that I don't think that's what goes through someone's head, but it's like, oh, okay, product isn't right. I don't want it. I'm going to send it back. So then if you charge a fee for that, it's like, well. But it's it's not what it's not what you sold to me. It's not what That's I expected right. to receive. So now I'm now I'm having to pay for a fee a fee for that. But also on your, on your comment about restocking fees and the assumption is that like no buyers will always be no buyers. It actually applies to cus- existing customers as well, actual customers, because you can buy the first time and go brilliant, loved it, that was great. Then you buy a second product and that one's not right, 
And so you send it back. Yeah. Or it could even be, it could be a fifth product. And suddenly yeah. you get hit with this charge that you'd never known about because you've never had a reason to. Yeah. And you think, well, I've been buying from this company for ages and now they're charging oh, well, me to customer. send it back. Yeah, yeah, what's going on there? That's that's not fair. And and so that's that's kind of how we sort of have evolved our perspective around around for the unit economic model. It takes time and patience to really understand how the dollars flow and how the data flows. But let's take take an example for 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 try now. A lot of our customers, when you look at time to next order for your first for for try now orders versus a buy now order, the time to the next order is anywhere from two to six x faster for a try now order. That speaks to the power of a great experience, drives loyalty, drives repurchase frequency. And so when brands think about the ri- rising return costs, uh, which is a real thing and a, and a real issue and a real challenge, rising return rates with rising CAC, something needs to change in the economic model. We need to find dollars elsewhere. But the beauty of money is that it's fungible. If you move money from your left pocket to your right pocket, you still have the same amount of money in your pocket. So I think there are other ways that we can discover that. So let's take a $10 restocking fee and you have a 20% return rate. On average, that's $2 per order of kind of like restocking fee revenue. And so the question is, can you find $2 elsewhere and not charge, not assess a penalty to the shopper and instead renegotiate rates with your 3PL, renegotiate rates with your carriers, change some of your packaging, increase your prices by a dollar. There's a there's a there are a bunch of options to to uncover those extra two dollars. And you know, it's just that the easiest way is to 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 charge the shopper for that. Yeah. Well it's it's a classic case of this is the problem. How do we fix this problem and not thinking wider business, what else can we do to fix that problem somewhere else? Right. And that's a that's a what, great assessment. What one answer to that question can be well, if it, if they cost us like two dollars for a restocking fee for this order, or ten dollars, whatever, um, but if they come back and buy next time, like if, if they, like we were saying about you know the assumption is no buyers are always no buyers, if they return their first product and still make an, a second purchase, part, you know part of the reason could be it didn't fit me, so I want the bigger size. Yeah. I'm going to return a medium and buy a large, but if you charge me for returning the medium. I'm not going to buy the large. Yeah. Because it's yeah. now that large is now costing me more money. Yeah. And so, in an exchange, a, shop, a brand would probably waive the restocking fee for an exchange. But what if that exchange didn't happen right then? And they said, you know what? I'm on vacation or I'm heading out or now it's not the right time. I just want to get my money back. And I'll come back later and get the right, right size. You know, so. They, you you brought up you, you brought up the point around a product online not looking like the product in person, and that is just like an age old, um, age old problem in e commerce. Like we have a browser window in between in between us and the experience of of the products, and you just can't fully appreciate and experience a product through a browser window. And I was reading every once once a week. I read some customer CSAT reviews and surveys, and just yesterday I was looking at feedback around a, a, a try now shopper. So they love the experience, but some feedback is that the picture of the black t-shirt online was like a crisp black, but the black in line in, in person was a faded black. I like a crisp black, but that's why I returned. And, you know, th- these are like examples that like, you know, you can dial in photography all you want, but there's always going to be some imperfections. Well, I mean, perfect example there is, 
I know the monitor on my laptop is different to the monitor on my PC and I get a different experience. I haven't noticed it so much with product imagery, but that's because it stands out a bit more. But I know that things like checkboxes pretty much don't appear on my laptop screen. I have to tilt the screen quite a lot to to see them. And I, I haven't worked out a way to fix it. As far as, as, far as I've been told, yeah. I can't. It's just the style of display or something. So yeah. that could be an issue, right? It could be yeah. slightly different on iOS versus a, a, an Android phone. It could be Safari to Chrome. It could be just literally the the different screen type that's being used. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's interesting to put, actually. I was, I was looking at a, a cocktail website and I just... I, for a, a client today, and uh, I made the point to him that the the strawberries on this cocktail on the cocktail glass looked fake. I said it like stood out to me as superimposed, like the designer had put that in place. But also that the actual cocktail itself wasn't a particularly appealing bright color. Yeah, and he hadn't noticed that because I think on his screen he was seeing a, a brighter, a brighter image, a vibrant, a vibrant strawberry cocktail. Yeah. And yeah. and that's that's something that probably would have put me off from buying it because I thought it just didn't look appealing. Yeah, and that's and that's going to happen with so many products. Right? It doesn't it doesn't just have to be fashion, right? There's so many products where if someone doesn't like the look of it, that's enough to make them not bother with the purchase. Yeah, exactly. And then the the cost of so people who order and then return that's one thing. There's also all these people that have those concerns. Is this black going to be a faded black, or is it going to be a dark black? Are these shoes going to be a bit clunky, or is it is the silhouette a little bleaker? Is the sweater going to be itchy, or is the cashmere really soft? All of these different questions that people ask when they're online browsing, and when you have those questions, you lose confidence. And so e-commerce has a confidence issue. Shoppers don't have confidence. They go through the flow. And so everything we've done in e-commerce is trying to add confidence to the flow at every step. We have we have user-generated content. We have reviews. We have great photography. We have, this was rated as, you know, the best pair of athletic pants in, in men's, men's journal, men's magazine. All of these stamps of approval to give that shopper confidence. But at the end of the day, they're always going to have questions. And and at the end of the day, returns will always be a part of the experience. And so the question is, rather than if, if the natural current of e-commerce is that shoppers are getting comfortable doing this and this is returns, how do you instead broaden and optimize your unit economic model to absorb changes yeah. so that you can kind of evolve and adapt in that way too? Yeah, I mean... It- yeah, like you said, right? It's the businesses that don't, you know, don't run returns well or don't offer free returns and things are, yeah, working on the assumption that this customer was never going to come back because they we lost them on that first purchase, therefore they're not going to come back, and it just doesn't it doesn't quite work like that. And if you can provide a better experience initially, people are more likely to come back. Yeah, like you know, just like you were saying with the return, that that t-shirt return. You know, I, I don't know what the exact feedback was, but the the guy might he, he might have liked the t-shirt, right? You know, gone, I really like the t-shirt, but it just yeah, wasn't fit great on their shoulders. Color, yeah. Right? So I'm happy to exchange it, or I'll just get a completely different color. But yeah, the I think the the feeling from a lot of brands would be we've lost that sale. We lost that sale. And it's like, it's the wrong, 
it's it's the it's the wrong kind of problem to solve. You said earlier it's kind of addressing the wrong the the wrong issue and basically like the not root not the root. It's like you know return return rates are going up. Let's charge for returns. And that's that's one solution. Now we have what one of our investors gave me some great advice that he received from his father, and the line is if you can't solve the problem, then change the problem. So return rates are going up. Can you solve that problem? Well, in the case of that black t-shirt, you probably could solve that specific problem, right? You can get retake that picture. You could retouch that picture so that the faded, so it looks like the faded black that it actually is in reality. Okay. So there are some problems there that you certainly can solve. Or you can say this model is, you know, five foot 10 wearing a size medium. Okay. That's helpful to give the shopper better sense of how that product might fit. But ultimately, you can't solve this problem. So how do you change that problem? So you have to change the problem that you're addressing and that you're solving. And I say the same thing is with kind of restocking fees. So one one thing that we employ at TryNow that many companies do, such as Toyota, who kind of started this, is which is we ask the question why six times. So if if something happened, right? So a shopper returned. We'll ask why six times or restocking fees, the restocking fees or return rates. We'll ask why six times. So as opposed to saying return rates are going up, let's charge for returns. That's basically just throwing a bandaid on a problem immediately without cutting to the core of that problem. But instead, if we peel that back six layers, we get to the, we get to the root cause and we can kind of build the foundation and build it back up in a more durable way. Yeah. And I think, you know, so many brands now offer, I mean, what, free shipping, at least on a certain order value and also free returns. It's, it's becoming, it's becoming the accepted model, the, the expected model from customers. So if you're not offering free returns, then your conversion rate is going to go down. Right. right. Because people don't want to take that risk. You know, even a 10% on t shirt might cost them $3. To, to have to send that back, but that's a $3 charge for trying on a t-shirt. Yeah. Which, yeah. Like when you think about the, on, the, the in-store experience, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. No, you, sense. They, have, they have fitting rooms. You, you go up to the fitting room. You normally you tell the person like how many items you've got, you go try them on, you bring them back out and you hand over the ones that you didn't want. And that's it. Yeah. That's the end of that experience. And then you just go pay for the ones you did want. Yeah. So that's, basically what you're trying to fix with the online experience isn't it it is i mean everything that we that we have now and that we will continue to build is about digitizing that online experience so that it mirrors the brick and mortar experience as best as possible here's like a product that we don't here's a here's a product that we don't offer and we won't offer but still something that i think needs to be evolved and changed if you go into a store and you walk in you're excited to learn a little bit about the store. You don't really know anything about the brand yet, but you want to see what you've been walking past it. It's on your way to the coffee shop every morning. You've seen it across the street. You haven't gone in. All right, today you're going in. You walk in and then all of a sudden, the sales associate just says, here's a big form. Write your email down on this and I'll give you 10% off. They don't even say, hi, how are you, Will? They just give you a form that you have to write your name on. Of course you wouldn't do that. Why does every website operate that way? So there's a lot of different ways that we... It's a a powerful touch point right when a shopper comes onto the page. There's a lot that you can do in that moment to drive time on site and to drive brand awareness. But instead, when you throw a promo offer, you degrade the brand and you impact time on site. 
in order to capture an email. Now, an email is valuable. How much do you value an email? Is that worth $5 to you? Is it worth $10 to you? But you know, that the brand, the brand can answer that. But I think there are other ways to, to collect an email in more kind of creative and creative methods while still using that first touch point to, to pull someone in and introduce them to the brand, to your ethos, to your offering. So that was, it was something I wanted to touch on actually, but sorry, you're saying that's the product you don't offer at the moment, like email capture. It's, it's not a product we offer. It's not a product we will offer, yeah. but I think in general, just more like holistically in our philosophy is why does e-com look so different than brick and mortar? Well, we still have the same names as brick and mortar, right? We have a, we have a cart. We have all of these same kind of, we have effectively a checkout line for in, in e-commerce. We have collections, which is like aisles. I mean, we have all of these same things, but there's some fundamental parts of e-commerce that are quite different, paying for everything up front, an email capture, and, and, and many more. So if you can make that the e-commerce experience a bit more human, a bit more natural, it creates a much better shopping experience. It differentiates your brand from your competition. And ultimately, the output is that it puts more dollars into your bank account because it reduces CAC, it increases LTV, and it increases AOV. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've looked at a few tools in the past around kind of finding your perfect fit. Right. So they mainly work on, on clothing, shoes, but it's generally things like, you know, which brands do you normally shop from? Like if you, if you buy shoes, which brands do you buy? Which shoe do you buy? And what size do you buy them? And then it will say, cool, well, we recommend this size for this shoe that you're looking at here. That's that first step of like almost like speaking to someone in a store and saying, you know, this is what I normally wear. What do you recommend? Or yeah. even even them pulling out those like measuring things and actually saying like this is your this is this is what your measurement yeah. is. Therefore, this is the size we recommend. But then it's you can still go that one step further and say, well, now that you've now that we've identified the right shoe size, why don't you try it? You can do that in store. You can't do it online. But That's now, right. obviously, with solutions like Try Now, you can. Yeah, exactly. So it really is. Sorry, I was just going to say it really is. It's it's helping brands build out those experiences they have in store, and that answer all those questions you need answering before you're willing to make the purchase. Yes, just because you're at home shopping doesn't mean you have any different questions than when you're at the store shopping. Same questions exist. It's just your ability to get those questions answered is dramatically different. And so we talk about some of these sizing tools. I think Wear is a great a great tool. And let's say you had, let's say a brand had wear and try now. So she fit as a company that is, you know, large women's sports bra company. They, they work with us to try now. We power their try before you buy program. They also work with wear. And you could think about try now as basically putting a living room into the shopper's fitting room and allowing them to do that through a site. You can think about wear as that sales associate that asks the shopper questions to help them and guide them into the right product the first time to give them confidence in that in that in that buying journey yeah i mean that's exactly how I'm trying to remember the exact name of this brand now yeah i think it is shoe shoe ai now it used to be shoe size got me i think it's just shoe ai and that's that that's their positioning now right the positioning is we they are like that in-store customer service personal or, or sales assistant who's going to answer your questions and help you find the right product and yeah. and something that i love that i've been talking to them about is like if a product is out of stock or if it's out of stock in your size, it will then recommend similar products in the, in the correct size for you. Because one thing I didn't know until I started working with a shoe retailer is 
just because a shoe says it's size 10, whatever, I'm not sure, I think you use a completely different scale to us, but says it's size 10 doesn't mean it's, that. that's not a, it's not like an industry standard sizing. Yeah. It's just what they've decided size 10 is for their brand. So yeah. what shoe AI will do is say, well, you, we were going to recommend you a size 10 in this shoe, but actually, because that's out of stock, we recommend this one instead, which actually we think you'd fit a size 10 and a half or 11. Yeah. And that, that is that in-store experience that I used to remember having, you know, as a kid, when I used to get new shoes every year for school and stuff, they would right. say, well, you know, we'll, we'll bring out this one, but we've also got these two other pairs that, that are similar. So if you try this one on and you don't like it, try these two as well. Yeah. You can now, you know, with a combination of tools, admittedly, you can have that experience on a website. You can have that sales assistant say to you, here are three shoes that we think you'll like, and then you get and, the opportunity to try it. And you walk away in that case as a will the six-year-old getting ready for school. And you walked away with a pair of shoes that you loved. And if you just are focused on one, like what, what, what brand should be focused on is acquiring a customer. Um, that first order, they should focus on acquiring a customer with as good of experience as possible. And the metric that make that matters that brand should be tracking religiously on a weekly basis is some form of customer satisfaction, whether that's CSAT or NPS, but some sort of metric on a weekly basis and driving that metric up every single day. And if that, like, if that metric is continuing to drive up, I guarantee as will net sales after returns, right? Net sales after returns and contribution margin. They're positively correlated. And, you know, there's other optimizations that you can do in the, in the, in kind of the profit and cost stack, but CSAT is the, the, the bellwether for, for the business. Yeah. And I think, you know, you read, you know, look it up on LinkedIn or, or basically any e-com digital marketing blog at the moment, costs of acquisition are going up, right? You know, there's so much more expensive than, than a couple of years ago and it's getting more difficult. So, surely you want to be doing everything you can to try and acquire a customer. Yeah. And if, if that means giving them a free experience to receive the shoe, receive, yeah, sticking with shoes, receive the shoes, try them on if they don't like and return them, but maybe they'll buy something else. Yeah. Or, you know, they might say, oh, I had this great experience. Like I didn't, I didn't like the shoes in the end, but I had this great, great experience on this brand who allowed me, that they told me which one I should be wearing. And it did fit, hopefully. Yeah. And also, they just allowed me to try it. And if I didn't like it, I sent it back. Yeah. And and that model, it's, when when costs are going up, in the case of that 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 shoe company, CACs are going up. So you need to bring CAC down, but it also puts more reliance on that second purchase and that third purchase. So for you to make the same amount of dollars, well, can you? Yes, maybe I'll I'll spend more on that first purchase because. The Facebook machine is just more expensive today than it was years ago. But maybe I have better tooling and a better strategy to shorten the time to that second purchase, to shorten the time to that third purchase. And so while yes, maybe I'll maybe some of the costs are front loaded a little bit on the on that first purchase, what could I do to make up for that on the back end? And that's where the cre- creating an incredible experience delivers on that. Harder for brands that you know it's sort of like one and done with the purchase. So take a mattress company or a furniture company might be a bit more difficult there. But with the exception of verticals there, any company where a shopper on averages orders, you know, 1.5 times from a brand, 
Well, there's plenty of opportunity to make that 3.5, 4.5, 10.5 yeah. orders that order from the brand. And we see brands all the time that have shoppers that order six times a year. I mean, there's just incredible loyalty. And that is the marker of a durable business. I think just related relate to the comment you made earlier about no buyers being no buyers forever. I guess there might be this assumption that, you know, if, if the average number of orders per person is two or whatever from this brand, do brands risk getting into that that mindset of that we can't really change that? People people buy twice a year. That's their buying behavior. But actually, you know, the reason they might buy buy more because of try now is because it, it answers all those questions. It deals with those concerns. If you if you don't have that, you know, like shoe AI, and if you don't have try now, every single time you come to make a purchase, you're going to have to answer those questions again. Is this really going to fit me? Am I really going to like this color? You know, is it is it really the product that I want? And if you can start removing those questions and those barriers by getting people to order, you know place an order basically free of charge. Yeah, it, it makes sense that your order frequency would go up. Yeah. I think that if, if you were in an apparel business and you feel like you cannot get a, sh- a shopper to purchase more than two times from your brand, then you need to look and understand why. Why is that the case? Because there's a problem. There's a fundamental problem there. And there's ways to solve that problem. And so I think that it starts with you know getting collecting some anecdotes. As opposed to being obsessed over these averages or on the data, like what what percentage of orders of shoppers order more than two times and that, that, that's all important but we we say at try now anecdotes first averages second let's focus on the stories around shoppers let's paint the picture let's really understand shoppers at a deep level and then let's validate our assumptions and our learnings and our hypotheses with data and so go out and talk to those shoppers understand why they're only talking ordering two times, put out some surveys give them a gift card in order to get on the phone tell them how what do they what do they like from your side, what do they? What products don't they like? What products would they want to try, but they haven't tried, and why haven't they tried it? Really understand what's going on, because once you understand those problems, the root causes, then you can build strategies to address that and get those shoppers to order three times a year, to order four times a year. And there's 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 paths to do that. There's opportunity to do that, and that's that's what really changes things for for a business. Because sending an email is pretty free, pretty close to free. Acquiring another customer is anything but. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned fashion. I think it's M&S, Marks and Spencers over here, have just bought a, a brand called Thread, I think, who, if I remember correctly, the way they work is you kind of have a, a personal shopper online. You run through a quiz, answer all your questions, all these questions, give all your preferences. And then I think basically what they do is they send you a box of clothing and you keep what you want, and then you, you you send the rest back. So kind of your model, but I just that model for them, I think, is going to work really well. You know, the ability to yeah. say, "Here's not not just like a jumper that you're going to try on. It's here's your entire wardrobe for the summer or whatever. Yeah. Just keep keep the bits you want." So you know, they they've already taken that step, but they're obviously making it potentially a core part of their their clothing offering for, for the online experience. It's it's a model um, proven to work really well, similar to similar to Stitch Fix. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Shopper, shopper, shoppers love that. They love that experience. They love to try and they love to bring the store you know, to their to their door. Yeah. So one thing I do want to touch on just with fashion, because I think it is a quite a fashion specific problem. 
do do you think a tool like this risks creating bad behavior from customers so customers who will place orders they place multiple orders but the intention is to you know take a picture for for instagram or or just go out for one night you know get a new outfit go out and then send it back the next day and yeah, they've literally not had actually, a penny left leave their account we've never we've never seen that in incremental to what they see in their base business and i think the reason why is because a trial program is anywhere from 3 to 10 days which is much shorter than a 30 day return policy so if they're already doing this in their in their business that's just that like that, that'll happen right if you if you sell expensive handbags or luxury goods or expensive jewelry that behavior exists it'll also exist on some of those try orders but by and large we don't see any any increase in that yeah if you did and the brand came back and, and they you could tell it was, it was it was used or worn they just issue a they just don't issue a refund and the shoppers charge just the same way that they would operate their their buy now business yeah yeah fair enough i mean yeah, I, I suppose the experience I've had, and uh, you know, speaking to customers of clients, and and also working with clients to increase their their free returns periods. I've worked with a couple who've gone from fourteen to thirty days, being the the kind of legal requirement here, and and thirty being standard, really. And then one we've actually we've we've bumped up to six months, but that's quite specific for their business model. But generally, what we found is, you know, when extending thirty days hasn't really made an impact on returns yeah. because people who are returning will do it quickly. You know, they'll yeah. they'll try it on or they'll have a look at the product to go, no, it's not right, send it back. But generally, what I found is from speaking to customers is that they don't want to return vast vast majority of products and things. They want to buy it because they want it. Right. They don't want to go through the hassle of returning. They don't want to go through the hassle of like that money being out of their bank account. Generally speaking, you know, if people are buying things, they are as far as they're concerned, they're committing to purchase it. It's it's a fallback option of the ability to yeah. return it. Yeah. Yeah. No no one wants to go through that process, particularly if you don't buy anything. But the worst customer experience is when you order something from a brand and you ended up going through the hassle of returning and didn't get anything to keep. Right. So oftentimes I'll order things from a brand in two different sizes across a bunch of different styles and I'll keep a lot and I'll send a lot back. It's a great experience, particularly because I use a product called Returnmates, which is a an offering that they'll actually pick up the return from my doorstep and they'll take it and they'll and they'll they'll print out the label for me and they'll manage that whole return process. It's a great so customer a, experience. A, is that a customer facing business? So you as the customer sign a, up to it and they will work with brands, but you do have the option as a customer to sign up for it. And so I do. And the founders lives about three blocks from me. And uh, it's a great, it's a great business, great customer experience. And in those cases, like the returns experience can be this, this point where you actually create an amazing experience, but typically it's not typically it's a, it's a hassle. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to add on the, the, the try before you buy experience? Well, I think the, the last piece I'd leave you with, Will, is you talked a lot about free shipping and easy returns. And if we do a quick little history on it, in 2005, Amazon Prime launched. In 2009, it became prevalent. And at that point, free shipping and easy returns just built this movement. And brands like Bonobos and other early D2C brands started offering free shipping and easy returns. It was really innovative at the time. It was a bold decision. 
Bonobos and many other brands said, we're going to increase our return rates, but we're going to increase shopper loyalty. We're going to reduce, we're going to reduce CAC, increase conversion, just create a much better shopping experience. And it was very successful. And you look, roll, roll, roll forward to today, 2022, it's just table stakes. In order to compete in e-commerce, you need to offer free shipping and easy returns. And so it's boring. It's a boring strategy. It's just like, that's just kind of how it works. Try before you buy is at a similar point in, in its inflection point where right now we work with a lot of early adopters, innovative brands that really understand their unit economic models and are very customer centric. But in five years from now, it'll be a boring strategy. It's just going to be how, how, how shoppers shop. Yeah. And we'll continue to build out products and product suite that continue to add confidence to that shopping experience. But you know, that's, I would have liked and tried before you buy to the new free shipping and easy returns. Yeah, cool. So yeah, I like that. That's a good point to end on. But yeah, just two quick questions before we, we do actually finish. Is there anyone in the, the kind of D2C marketing space that you'd want to have lunch with? Yeah. Well, I have a lot of lunch with Nick Sharma and okay. and he's he's great. But I think one person that is so Nick's just an incredible mind in kind of the performance marketing space. I think Someone named Kyle Goldman. He lives in he lives in Brooklyn, in New York, and he runs a, a very small agency with an incredible, incredible group of clients called Omnia. And he is the best in the industry that I've come across in really dissecting someone someone's data and unit economic stack. And so every time we have a meal together, I I leave having learned a tremendous amount from from Kyle. So I'm actually going to see him in in January. And so I, I do look forward to to a dinner with him. Oh awesome. Yeah I'd love I'd love to see if I can get get him on the podcast or maybe you can yeah. do a, a little intro. Happily. Awesome. So yeah just finally any any tools that you use so any tools or apps that you would recommend? Tools that I use personally, well, for the business, we use, we use Zapier a good amount. And I think what's important for a remote company is to use Zapier to like foster communication throughout, throughout the org. So different things that happen, like it's zapped into a Slack channel, allows people to, to have visibility, whether it's a deal that's, that closed or it's our KPI dashboards. The tool that I use personally that has transformed my life is Superhuman. It is a, an email client and it sounds really simple, but it's just a dramatically better email. And it allows me to stay, stick with inbox, inbox zero strategy. It just makes my life a lot more simple. So that, that has been, that has been an unlock for me over the past couple of years. Okay. Interesting. I'll have to check that one out. I know I've always got, I think my, the minimum I get to is about seven to 10 emails in my inbox. I really, I just do need to get better at moving them to tasks, but yeah. Awesome. Um, if anyone wants to reach out and find out more, what's the best way of doing that? You can send me an email at ben at trynow.io. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks, Will. Imagine being able to order all the products you want from a shop without spending any money, receiving those products, trying them or checking them out, and just sending back anything that's not what you'd hoped for. And only then do you get charged. Of course, you're going to convert better. Of course, you're going to spend more money per order. Almost all the risk of the purchase is removed because you only pay for the items that you keep. And you're obviously only going to keep the items you've experienced and decided are fit for what you need them for. It seems like a no-brainer to me as a business, don't you? If you'd like to find out more from Ben, you can contact him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Trey Brunner joining me. We're going to be talking about how they use customer feedback to develop 
uh, the business and its products at Bamboo Avenue. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Thank you.